This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Uh, This is going to be part two of four of our series on gastrointestinal parasites in goats. And I'm going to talk about what are some of the weapons we have to deal with GI parasites. I'm sorry this is coming at you like a day late. I'm really going to try to get back to the Friday schedule, but I pulled a bonehead move. If you follow me on Instagram, you might see this that I just posted an Instagram story that I uh, thought I left my podcast, like my little handheld recorder at the new farm, and I looked for it at the quote, like I said, the old farm. It's like... It's funny that the new farm is actually older, like it's like 200 years old. But anyway, um, the I left. I I was at the old farm, and I thought I left my recorder at the new farm, and I didn't really look very hard for it. I looked like in my bag and in like the normal places, and then I. Um, I was like, oh, it's at the new farm. And then I didn't think much more of it because I was supposed to be there Wednesday night and Thursday night, and today's Friday. Um, but then Wednesday night, I went home to the old farm instead because we have a doe, a yearling doe that's not feeling great right now. Um, so I went home to do some treatments to her and then came back, and I was in the ER last night. And then this morning, I was like, okay, I really got to find this recorder so I can record a podcast, and it's got to be here. And it was in my bag, like my laptop bag, the whole time in a pocket that I don't usually use. So fail on me. Sorry. I'm really bad at living in two places at the same time right now. Um, I was really, like, quite effective at that during vet school, but I used up all of my ability to do that during that four years is my excuse. Um... But hopefully it's not going to be too much longer because the farm, the new farm, the new old farm is cranking and things are really coming together over there. And I talked to the guys this morning and they said they're working on like the final, hopefully the final adjustments for the support beams in the bottom floor of the barn so then we can get the hay in the barn, which is so exciting. Um... And then they'll be finishing buttoning that up, and we've got, like, three and a half weeks, maybe, until we uh, need to be out of the old farm. So, a little bit under the gun to uh, get out of there as far as our timeline. But, optimistic, things are going to happen. Anyway, um, so today, like I said, I'm going to talk about gastrointestinal parasites, part two out of four. This is talking about our weapons that we have in the battle against gastrointestinal parasites. I'm going to talk about um, antihelminthic drugs, so those are like your quote-unquote chemical dewormers. I'm going to talk about copper oxide wire particles, and I'm going to talk about uh, nematode entrapping fungi, which is super, super cool. 
Um, I think if you have any questions about this stuff, you should find me on the internet. The website is goatdoc.com, and you can click on the contact tab. If you sent me an email with a question, I will I, I will get to you. I never delete anything. You've probably heard me say that before. And uh, the month of December, I hope to have more flexibility and less working for other people hours so I can have more time to talk about goats in my living room, maybe, or in my truck or wherever I happen to be, and then share my thoughts with you on the podcast. Um, so yeah, you can find me on the website. You can check out me, my Instagram, which is goat underscore doc. Um, if you like the Twitter, you can follow there, which is at goat doc Kara with a C. And, um, what else? We got email, regular old email is goat doc Kara at gmail.com. And, uh, if you have a moment and you are enjoying the podcast, you, I would be most appreciative if you can take a minute to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast player favorite is. Favorite player? Favorite favorite podcast player. There we go. That's probably the most appropriate order for those words. Um, So, yeah, that helps other people to find the podcast when they're looking for stuff about goats and goats being the smallish well relatively small uh ruminant species not the g-o-a-t sports players <laughs> um what else uh if you want to join the small group of early patreon supporters if you would like to go above and beyond in supporting the podcast and want to check out patreon and if you think that the information you're getting is valuable and worth throwing a couple bucks a month at that is going to help me offset costs for like hosting and maybe someday i'll like well i've already bought some equipment hosting and you know all those kinds of things that's basically the biggest cost um i'm probably going to have to get some more like storage electronic storage equipment at some point for all of this stuff because my computer kind of freaks out it's too much stuff on there um yeah but anyway sorry i was uh, not like super many hours of sleep last night uh (laughs) but uh yeah, if you want to check, if you want to be go above and beyond, if you think the podcast is great and you'd like to go above and beyond in terms of supporting it, you can check out my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash goat doc. Um, and there's some like thank you rewards on there and things such as that. I also like if you're a Patreon supporter and you have like a good idea of what other like bonus Patreon patron features I should provide then send me an email or send me a message through Patreon because I'm a little bit stumped on some of these things um yeah so if you if you got a good idea let me know I'm uh I've got some other stuff in terms of like swag and like physical merchandise and whatnot that is kind of in the works but anyway so I've spent, I, I hate when podcasts do all this talking at the beginning and don't get into the meat of the thing. So I'm sorry, this is longer than I usually talk. And I'm now I'm going to start talking about what we have that we can manage our gastrointestinal parasites in goats with. 
as always, this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinarian client patient relationship with your local vet. So part one of GI parasites is like know your enemies and part two of GI parasites is know your weapons. So I'm not quite into like the strategy yet. That's going to be coming next, but it's important. I think this is like, you know, you got to know what the bad guys are doing and then you got to know what you have to knock them down and what, and then by knowing those things, then you can effectively plan and effectively make a plan on how you can most effectively use your tools. So, like I said, uh, we're going to start with, uh, like, traditional quote-unquote chemical dewormers. All of these, these products in particular, there's like a half a dozen of them maybe, um, but I cannot emphasize enough that we have very, very few traditional chemical and I say like quote unquote chemical because I don't I'm not a person who's like oh chemical is bad everything's a chemical guys it's all chemistry um you are made of chemicals (laughs) um but so chemical traditional like anthelminthic anthelminthic drugs there are very very few of them the vast majority of them are off-label for goats. All but one of them are off-label for lactating dairy goats. And um, because we have so few of these products to use, it's important that we use them. We call it judicious uh, use of these products. Like, think about when you're using them and think about how you're using them and, like, use them appropriately. Because what you may hopefully not have experienced yourself, but is not an uncommon issue, is uh, gastrointestinal parasites, particularly homonchus, barbapol worm, that are resistant to these. Um, And it's because we have not really, like, kind of like antibiotics in human medicine and vet med where we end up with things like MRSA and people get sick and we can't do anything about it. Um, we have, we have a similar problem in our small ruminant gastrointestinal parasites where like you may end up with a population of worms that you can't kill basically with these typical products that we've had around for years and years that would kill them. So, this is this is where the idea of resistance comes about. This is where like talking about these things and knowing what they do and how they work um, is important. So I'm going to kind of go through these chemical dewormers uh, by family and probably say some names that you recognize and talk about how they function and then get on to the other stuff. So the first kind of family of Dewormers is what we call macrocyclic lactones. Um, These are um, ivermectin is the big one. It's been around forever. It comes as a paste, comes as an injectable, comes as a pour-on. Been around for a long time. Zemectrin, Ivomec, those are some trade names. And uh, that's kind of the, the 
probably the biggest, most common one. And then the other one that is not uncommonly used in sheep and goats is labeled for sheep, not for goats, is moxidectin, uh, which is the trade name Cydectin. So how macrocyclic lactones work is that they uh, interfere with one of the nerve receptors in gastrointestinal parasites, if I remember correctly. This is particularly in, like, their mouth parts, their, like, pharynx, so can interfere with them, like, having an ability to feed and swallow. Um, The uterus, which is weird, and also, like, the the body wall, I want to say. So basically what this when the macrocyclic lactone works, it interferes with that nerve uh, receptor, which is like a muscle nerve receptor. And then the, those particular locations in the parasite are paralyzed, and it's what we call a flaccid paralysis. So it's like a floppy paralysis, and the worms can't hang on, and they're expelled from the animal, and they die. Um, things of note about macrocyclic lactones, like I mentioned, cydectin is not labeled for goats. Um, ivermectin is not labeled for any lactating dairy animal, period. Uh, residues tend to stick around for a long time uh, of ivermectin in particular. I've read some case reports about, like, somebody accidentally gave the milking cows ivermectin as a dewormer, and then residues are around for, like like 120 days or something like that so that's a whole lot of milk that needs to be dumped if you're a commercial dairy that's a huge financial loss um that's a problem uh so ivermectin tends to stick around in terms of a drug residue which is problematic if you are a commercial person um and i mean problematic in general because goats whether they are pets or not uh they are a food producing species so whether or not you think that you're never ever going to eat that little pet weather like you can't predict the future and if he got out or he got stolen or whatever somebody some somehow like there's a world of possibilities of how some animals that were not intended to be in the food stream can end up in the food stream. So that's why, like, it's important to think about those things. Um, ivermectin is, like I mentioned, it's available in a paste and an, an injectable and a pour-on. For gastrointestinal parasites, I don't think that injectable or poron routes of administration are effective in goats. Um, I know that the poron label and probably the injectable label too says for treatment of like brown stomach worm and whatever else that are gastrointestinal worms. But guess what species that label is for? It's not goats. It's cows and goats are not cows. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that like pour on an injectable ivermectin I will use for different things but not when I'm trying to treat GI parasites in general um, Cydectin is a macrocyclic lactone that is like a newer generation one so um, tend, like kind of think of it as a little bit heavier hitting maybe a little bit less resistance to it um, I think you might need a prescription for this I'm not sure but you should talk with your vet about it if you want to use it um, because the late like I said the label dose is for sheep and the dosing for goats for it to be 
effective is going to be different. So those are kind of, there's probably other ones. Actually, I know there's other ones, but those are the kind of the ones we have for small ruminants, uh, ivermectin and moxidectin. Next family is uh, what we call benzomidazoles. Uh, basically, that's fenbendazole and albendazole. And uh, so that's uh, trade names are like Safeguard and Panicure for fenbendazole. There might be some other trade names out there. Um, and for albendazole, it's valbazin. And I think that's the only one um, as far as albendazole right now. I think Zoetis still has the market on that, at least in the United States. Um, these guys uh, work by interfering with the ability of the parasite to produce energy or to use energy and also uh, with DNA replication. So I think albendazole in particular is more on the DNA replication side. I can't quite remember, but why I think that is because you do not want to use albendazole in pregnant animals, and I want to say particularly in early pregnancy, um, because it can mess things up. And it makes sense if it's interfering with DNA replication. DNA replication is an important part of uh, early fetal development. So no albendazole in the pregos. Um, fenbendazole is another one where there can be lots of resistance. Uh, Safeguard is in the store and it's labeled for, there's like a little bottle of Safeguard. It's like you've probably seen it in like tractor supply. It might come in pellets too. Um, there's a label for goats. There's Safeguard for goats. The problem with Safeguard for goats at the labeled dose is first of all, it's not labeled for lactating dairy goats. Um, there's no milk withholding time established for that, so you don't want to end up with fenbendazole in your milk. Um, and the other thing is that um, because the label dose of Safeguard, and I think Panicure too, it's got to be, um, is the same, and it's five milligrams per kilogram. So that's, you know, based on weight, five milligrams per kilogram. If you get it in the tube, it's like, you know, turn up the dial to this many pounds or pull up in your syringe this many milliliters and give that by mouth. The problem with that dose is that in reality, um, that labeled dose is most often not going to be effective. It's a very low dose and it is going to giving inadequate doses of dewormer like low doses that's only going to kill the really wimpy worms is going to lead to making super worms making resistant parasites so that's a problem with safeguard um fenbendazole panicure whatever um talk with your vet about what doses and whether they even feel like it's working in your geographic area um what else uh, the other, here we go, there they are, I'm just looking at my notes to make sure I say the right things. The other kind of last couple that are kind of in the same family in terms of their mechanism of action are Levamisol, which is a trade name Prohibit, and uh, Morantel, which is the trade name Rheumatel. 
Marantel is the only product labeled for lactating dairy goats. It has no milk withholding. Um, it usually comes in like a crumble and you have to feed it to them. And my goats hate it. And my husband hates when we try to use it. Uh, because he has to like he mixes it in all kinds of molasses and tries to feed it in the grain and they all get really grouchy on the milk stand and they don't want to eat it because they're little princesses so that's that's the drawback there the good thing is that it's uh you know it's labeled for lactating dairy goats with no milk withholding but the bad thing is that it's a pain to give because it comes in those crumbles and they don't like it um, Morantel and Lovamisol both work by another like nerve receptor uh, pathway. So the, these guys interfere with a different nerve receptor, and uh, instead of call, causing flaccid paralysis, they cause spastic paralysis. So flaccid, like I said before, is like floppy paralysis. The worms are like floppy and paralyzed for um, the macrocyclic lactones and for Levamisol and Marantel, they're spastic paralysis, which means their muscles are just rigid and then they can't hang on to anything and they're expelled that way. Um, Levamisol is the other product in this family. It's an older product. Um, the trade name is Prohibit. It usually comes in like a powder that you have to mix into some liquid and then dose accordingly. Um, the, like I said, this is an older product, and at least when I was in vet school in that particular time and location, um, it hadn't been used very much for a while and seemed to be effective against parasites basically because it had been shelved for a long time. The... Um, the caution with levamisol not labeled for goats and also uh, more need to use like particular care in dosing this uh, it's got um, what we call a narrow therapeutic index so that means the window of safety for giving an effective dose versus giving a toxic dose is small you don't want to overdose this um Sometimes things like ivermectin and fenbendazole are typically, I don't worry too much about giving a lot of it in terms of safety for the animal. It is a concern for drug withholding. Um, but like one time my husband was deworming one of our bucks and he gave him like, accidentally gave him like a whole tube of ivermectin paste. And then this was when I was in vet school and he like called me or texted me in a panic. Like I just gave this buck this much ivermectin and it was totally fine so it was like a 1200 pound horse dose or something like that and it was fine those tend to be really safe but if he gave a, a 1200 pound dose to a goat of levamisol that would have been problematic um so yeah that's that family there um so those are kind of the only really like those are kind of like the big, like I said, quote-unquote chemical dewormers that we have for our ruminant species. 
with the exception of Marantel, if you are milking dairy goats, you're not supposed to use any of those as far as, like, there's no, there, none of those are labeled for lactating dairy goats. There's no, if you look on the label, there's no information about administer this and then don't drink the milk for however many hours, which is a normal thing to be on most uh, medications that are labeled for lactating animals. So that's that's difficult, and that is something that you absolutely should be working with your vet on. Um, all so, and then you get into the whole thing, and this is why you, y'all probably get sick of me talking about a VCPR. But the the whole legal position of this is that the FDA is in charge of this stuff. It's not my call as a vet, like who has access to what and what is technically legal for use of these products in food animals. Um, the FDA regard, this is kind of quote from the Cornell vet uh, website. The FDA regard, and actually this is on the FDA website too, if I recall correctly. The FDA regards extra label use of drugs as an exclusive privilege of the veterinary profession and is only permitted when a bona fide veterinary and client patient relationship exists and an appropriate medical diagnosis has been made. So I know that this that this is not followed. (laughs) Like Um, so much but part of why this exists is the thing that I was talking about about resistance and that we have these few things and we want to be using them carefully so that we don't run into super parasites that we can't kill so then we can move into um, the other things that I mentioned at the beginning. I'm going to talk about copper oxide wire particles next, and that is like what everybody calls a copper bolus. Um, I'm going to talk about this some more and talk about like evidence-based medicine some more in the last episode in this series, um, but in the short thing to say about uh, copper oxide wire particles and copper bolusing in goats is that I my personal opinion of like where this all came from because it wasn't such a hot thing when I first got goats like 10 years ago not everybody and their brother was like oh I give copper boluses every three months or whatever um and now so many people say that and lots of times when I talk to clients they're like oh I'm going to give a copper bolus every six months or every four months or every other Monday or whatever that it is um they um and I say why are you doing that and they say oh because the breeder told me to and okay but I'm, I'm not going to go down that tangent uh on this episode we're going to talk about that in the last episode uh, but my my gut feeling of where this came from is that there is there is evidence for the use of copper oxide wire particles in uh, decreasing your gastrointestinal parasite burden only for hemonchus, so only for barber poleworm. Um, doesn't work on the other guys, but there's some pretty compelling papers out there that are good. Uh, 
like control groups and this was the control group and this was the copper group and this was the traditional ant helminthic group and what was the parasite fecal egg reduction on all of these groups and copper does something um if you're not familiar with copper boluses and you have goats, then you don't look at internet groups about goats and good for you. Um, but uh, the copper oxide wire particles are like basically these little like shreds of copper. And originally, like the papers that were doing this were taking the cow uh, copper boluses, which are like these big you know, like horse pills, they're capsules of copper and they're breaking them out into smaller goat sized boluses and administering those by mouth, which is a pain. And, uh, so they swallow it and the copper all filters down through the four stomachs. So the four as an F-O-R-E, uh, through the reticulum, the rumen and the omasum and eventually gets to the abomasum, which is where it does its thing as far as decreasing hemonchus. Uh, we don't know exactly what its mechanism of function is. Uh, some, there's some school of thought that it changes the environment, the acidic pH of the abomasum, which if you remember is the true glandular stomach, so it makes stomach acid. It's a pretty acidic place. Um, that interacts with the copper, and Hemonchus doesn't like that, so it's like, I'm out of here, and then it gets expelled through the rest of the GI. Um, and then another interesting part that may be in play is that um, Hemonchus, like dead Hemonchus recovered from animals, like fecal material that they had, they gave these animals a copper bolus, they collected the poop, they found the dead Hemonchus, and they looked at it under a scanning electron microscope shows that there is cuticle damage, so the cuticle is like the outside kind of skin of the parasite and there's damage to that cuticle so it's thought that maybe the copper is actually physically damaging the parasite and it dies or it's like upset enough about being damaged to let go and getting out of that animal's abomasum so we're not quite sure um but in some of the papers you you know that you're looking like i said at your control group which had a certain number of eggs per gram on its fecal egg count and then checked again two weeks later had no reduction you're looking at a group of animals that had a fecal egg count and then had like a 90 something percent reduction and that was like the traditional dewormer group and then your copper oxide wire particle group had like a 70 something percent reduction in one of the papers that I was looking at more recently um, so there is like evidence for the use of copper oxide wire particles in a parasite management plan to control hemonchus. I'm going to talk more in the last episode, like I said, about all the supposed magical virtues that copper is bestowing upon your goats. And by me saying that like that, you may think that I, I think it's not really doing that. Um, yeah. So copper, judicious use of copper probably has a place in a parasite management plan, particularly if you're looking at resistant parasites that your other deworming products are not functioning for. 
there is a danger of copper toxicity in small ruminants. The problem with copper as a mineral is, and like looking for copper in the body and trying to monitor copper levels, is that copper is something that the liver really, 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 really holds on to. Uh, it's possible to check serum copper levels, but the most effective way of evaluating an animal's like effective body copper levels is in the liver, um, and that to do that you need a sample of a liver, like a liver biopsy. I don't know anyone that's routinely doing this in goats right now. Um, it's liver biopsies in calves are seeming to become a thing. I don't know if it's for I don't trace minerals or what. Actually, to be perfectly honest. Um, but if you are thinking about copper in your animals and, uh, like, like I said, I'm going to talk more about, like, the supposed copper deficiency thing that everybody gets excited about these days, but, like, serum copper isn't going to really tell you much because you don't know what's going on in the liver. The pro so then I mentioned this because talking about copper toxicity, uh, administering copper to your goats or like sheep you may know if you are a sheep and goat person like sheep are much more sensitive to copper you don't have you don't feed goat feed like goat grain that's formulated for goats you don't feed it to sheep because the copper levels are much higher there's also different mineral products for sheep as opposed to goats i feed we feed our goats like a zinpro product the newer zinpro avela product that has high levels of copper in it and it says do not feed this to sheep because it has high levels of copper in it but the problem so that's just a species difference like goats tolerate higher levels of copper than sheep do so administering copper by whatever means in grain in minerals in copper oxide wire particle boluses in sheep needs to be done cautiously they're more sensitive uh, the problem with copper toxicity is that the liver holds on to copper, holds on to copper, holds on to copper. The copper will like circulate and then blood passes through the liver all the time, like through the portal vein, which is, or portal vein goes that way. Yeah, it goes back to the heart, goes through the liver, um, and it, uh, the, ha the liver has the opportunity to grab onto all the copper and it'll keep doing that until at some point it gets overwhelmed and then if more copper is introduced into the system it's just like out there and copper is very reactive um, it causes hemolysis so lysis of the red blood cells um, and that causes acute kidney failure so that's bad um, like aggressive treatment like very quickly is needed to try to save those animals if they are having uh, copper toxicity you have to I can't oh what is the something it's something blue I can't think of the name of the thing right now but it'll come to me that you have to administer intravenously to chelate the uh, to chelate the copper which means you're administering this other thing that then grabs onto the copper and then the body can get rid of it by different means but copper toxicity can happen. Um, I've not seen it myself personally yet, but it's, it's out there. 
methylene blue, I think, is the stuff that you have to give. And it's not easy to come by. Uh, I I don't routinely keep it on my truck. Goats seem to tolerate all this copper bolusing that everybody wants to do at this particular point in time they seem to tolerate it fairly well um i personally do not routinely copper bolus my goats i do not think i once at some point a couple years ago i was like i'm just gonna throw some copper at a few of these does and see what it does and i didn't think it did anything so (laughs) um yeah but um the copper, you know, I mentioned how it comes through the GI, it hangs around. It's eliminated from the animal in about three weeks um, just by passing through and getting broken down in the acidic abomasum and, you know, going out, basically. It's gone after three weeks and not doing anything. That may be why it is seems to be well tolerated in these animals that are getting copper bolus every other Monday or whatever people are doing. So that's copper. Um, I don't think I forgot anything about that. Um, The last thing that is something super exciting that is new in the United States and slightly less new in Australia and New Zealand is something as a product that is now available um, that is made of what's called nematode and trapping fungi. Um, And this is a wild biology thing. So the product, the trade name of the product is called Biowarma. Um, It recently, like this year, 2019, became available in the United States as only as this product that's Biowarma with Livamol or Livamol. I don't know how you pronounce that. If you know how to pronounce it, email me and tell me. Um, But the Livamol part of it is like a nutritional supplement. And the Biowarma part is the anti-parasitic part of it. And it Biowarma is this fungus. It's spores of a fungus that is called Duddingtonia flagrans. And uh, you, the, this is a feed-through product. You feed the nutritional supplement, the Livamol, with Biowarma. So the spores are eaten by the goat, and the spores survive the entire GI tract, and the goat does not digest them. Spores are, like, super hardy. They're usually, like, you can have fungal spores, you can have bacterial spores, but they're usually very, very hard to destroy. And Duddingtonia survives the whole ruminant or herbivore GI tract. Um, It gets pooped out, and then when it's in poop out on pasture it kind of starts to grow and do what fungus does. It makes its little hyphae, which are like its little roots. And uh, nematode and trapping fungi have different methods of killing nematodes. So nematodes are your worms, are your roundworms, are your gastrointestinal parasites. Um, there's some really cool videos on YouTube that I can share links to. Uh, one of the things that the the fungus does is it makes these little nooses, so it makes these little loops on its hyphae, and I think some of the fungi, I'm not sure if Duddingtonia does this, but some of the fungi that trap nematodes, because there's a whole bunch of them out in the dirt, they're just out there, because biology is crazy and cool. Uh, the the fungus makes these little nooses. It's like a little lasso. It's a little loop on their hyphae, and it has some cells in that loop that expand quickly. 
Um, some of the fungi, those loops even make like a pheromone, which is attractive to the nematodes. So the nematodes come up with their little heads and put their little heads through these little loops. And then the fungus senses that and the cells expand and it traps the head of the, the nematode in the noose and it can't escape. And then the fungus actually will start to grow its hyphae, so grow its little roots out into the, the body of the nematode and basically, like, eats the nematode. So that is awesome. And basically, so the BioWarma product is feeding a whole bunch of these fungal spores through the goat. So the spores come out, like I said, they come out in the poop, they start to grow, the fungus starts to grow, and then the eggs hatch and the fungus is there ready to kill the nematodes. Uh, there's no milk or meat withholding with this product. Um, it's really safe to give. You can feed it all the time. Um, you can feed it to your horses, your cows. People are feeding this to zoo animals like zebras and giraffes. Um, the major drawback of it right now in the United States is that it's only available with this product, with this nutritional supplement product, which is a bummer. Um, in Australia and New Zealand, it's available as like a concentrate, so you can get your feed producer to mix it like custom mix it into your feed which I hope soon that we can do that in the United States because I will totally do that it's a very exciting product can't really have resistance to it um, it's like a physical trapping and killing of those nematodes and very 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 cool um, yeah so let me see if I'm forgetting anything about that um I don't think so. So those are the big ones. And you may notice, and I'm, I'm going to talk about this in the last episode, uh, which is going to be like perils and pitfalls of parasite management. Um, you may notice I did not talk about garlic or tannins or diatomaceous earth. And I'm going to talk about those things later. And you'll find out why later. Um... But I think that's all I... Those are, the, those are the things that have evidence behind them. Um, and those are, like, the major weapons we've got that are working and have evidence of working against gastrointestinal parasites in small ruminants. I think that's kind of going to wrap it up for this part. Next part is part three, and we're going to talk about the strategy that we use to keep these guys down um i will try to not misplace my recorder over the course of the next week i'm going to have to stack a lot of hay this weekend so i'm on my way home and i'm going to uh try to get this edited and posted for you guys for tomorrow uh if you have any questions please feel free to email me goat.cara at gmail.com hit me up on the website goat.com or any of those other ways I talked about at the beginning of the show. That is going to do it for the moment, and I'll talk to you guys next time.